This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, Oscar. Thanks for hanging with us today. We're excited to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me. We're so excited for this conversation today. And I mean, you've just been out on tour in the UK after the release of your album, Look Now. So how was tour? How was touring off of the back of the album? It was really good. It was kind of the first time I'd been out and playing live shows in a long time. I'd sort of, uh, I don't know, not really like, not fallen out of love with it, but I'd just kind of forgotten about it and got really into like, producing music yeah. and making music and then you know doing these these shows around the uk sort of reinvigorate this love for playing live music so it was a great tour that's awesome to hear so in making your album look now you've said that in the past like you really focused on making rock music and like guitar driven music but then for this album you kind of fell in love with this idea of writing ballads and you said that your biggest inspirations are people that can just sit at the piano and sing a song everyone can relate to and i really love that sentiment i think it holds very true but my question for you is do you feel like there's a stigma around this ballad idea I, oh, there's definitely some sort of stigma around the idea of a ballad. I know it's not the coolest thing to be into ballads, <laughs> but I don't really care. I love these, you know, old 60s songwriters. And I know you, people will be saying that for years. You're, oh, or you like the Beatles. It's such a basic kind of music thing. But that's because they're so universally loved, yeah. you know, like there's no other band that can kind of do that. And, you know, I love all of that rock side of stuff. And I, I, I listen to such a a wider range of music that it's kind of hard to you know figure out what I want to do with mine but the piano ballad love has always been there in my heart and I've got a secret love for sort of musical songs and I always loved called Bugsy Malone growing up it was my favorite Mm. so I got a lot of inspiration off of that for this album. I feel like also if you think of like modern day ballads you just think of Adele and your album is not not Adele. (laughs) No it's not Adele at all although actually funny enough uh, I think Adele's, it was the one that, never mind, I'll fight. That was yeah. one of the first songs I ever learned on piano. Nice. So I, you know, it came from the origins. Yeah. Well, I feel like, again, genre is such a broad idea. And so certain people who don't understand music genre, and for how long I've been doing music journalism, genres still escape me. So like when we got like the press release and I was like ballads, like we said, I was expecting Adele, was not expecting what we got. And I was like, very blown away by like your idea of what ballads are and so i'm just curious like how did you come up with this kind of version of that because i know also like you were really unfortunately inspired by a breakup to like shift into this kind of music so like number one like i feel like you made your own rendition like i said of ballads but also it's like did you personally feel very much like that the type of emotions you were feeling would only fit this sort of music? I think it was, uh, you know, when we started writing this album, it was me and my co-producer, Rich Turvey, and it was sort of us two in a room. And it started off in this weird, fun, funky place. You know, I kind of, I'm constantly battling being a, a too much of a silly goose and, you know, <laughs> trying to be too silly. Mm-hmm. And so it was in this very sort of silly disco place. And then, you know, it was my first breakup of, you know, my childhood relationship. And it, it was quite hard to come in to the studio and start writing silly disco tunes. 
Um, I can imagine. So my kind of first instinct was to sit at the piano. And I'd always kind of wanted to make music like this. There was an EP I made called Overthunk that was kind of in the realm and had started in the realm of this album, but I was never able to execute it at the time. I sort of uh, was really anxious at the time. And as the EP title says, you know, it was slightly overthunk. And um, I'd kind of always wanted to do this sort of ballady sound or whatever you call it. I yeah. think they're just songs really is how I describe yeah. it. Um, I just make a lot of songs. <laughs> <laughs> so switching gears a little bit, I'm really curious because as musicians and people who love music, we have like a lot of very distinct memories throughout our life that kind of are part of the core journey of like us as people and also as music, like whether you're a songwriter or just a fan. So I'm curious, like what is your earliest memory of music? Oh, it's, you know, I've been surrounded by music my whole life. My my dad and my mom were huge music lovers. My dad was hugely into like Hall of Notes. And um, actually, funnily enough, I remember, and it's weird that, you know, there's this stigma with ballads because the first CD I remember ever truly loving was a CD of my dad's, which was called Guilty Pleasures. And it was like a bunch of these, well, you know, Guilty Pleasures. But I think, what was the song? they had on this she came from somewhere back in a long ago I oh and i know what you're talking about i don't know who sings it <laughs> but that was like a, that song off that um record was full of those sort of cheesy love ballady songs and that was i remember playing that in the car on the way to school and i have a weird thing with being able to you know sort of harmonize on things because i used to listen to the radio with my dad on the way to school and he would harmonize on things and i'd try and match him and then now it's kind of i'm actually kind of annoying because when i <laughs> listen to music with people i'm sort of singing some other melody on top of it <laughs> which i'm sure people find insufferable really, can you just like stop for once <laughs> yeah, yeah you're like, i literally so can't oh i God, can't turn it off trying to do it well, I'm trying to do a falsetto in the back of a Toyota Yaris. Like, it's just... Oh, my God. It doesn't really work. I feel like uh, you and Charlie Puth hanging out with anybody would just be everybody's worst nightmare because you'd be, like, <laughs> harmonizing with the kettle and you'd be like, that's a D flat. It's- oh, no, no, I'm not I'm not that bad. I wish I had perfect pitch. Oh, my God. But I'm not that bad. <laughs> I love that. I love that imagery. Do you have a guilty pleasure, like, music-wise? Oh, so many. I like have a big love for those like cheesy kind of like aqua tunes. Uh-huh. Those like 2000s, like the the fast food song, like that sort of weird cheesy uh, disco, like primary school disco kind of vibes. <laughs> I have weird love for that, you know, those songs. I also just listen to a lot of weird music that I don't know if you describe as guilty pleasures, but just like quite bizarre in the way that I listen to music because I make huge playlists of 300 songs and so mm. you know i'll sort of cycle from uh some psychedelic rock tune into bulgarian folk yeah, music that's and... honestly impressive honestly very impressive <laughs> I, I like to flex my little musical diversity i love that and i think it's cool that like you find inspiration from so much different music when your personal music is literally so personal and so emotional and just makes everybody feels so many feelings while listening to it. And I guess in that regard, like, is it difficult for you when you have so much music living in your head that you listen to all the time to like stick to one sound or one vibe, like when you're in the studio? Cause I know you already saying that you kind of went in the studio being like, Oh, it's going to be cheesy disco and then came out with 
ballads instead. Is it hard for you to stay on track with the theme of music? Oh, yeah. And, and my label and management will, you know, attest to how difficult that is for me. <laughs> I'm kind of constantly making songs. I, I just love, I think, again, what you were saying on those musical memories. Uh, one musical memory I had was the first time I went to secondary school and I got put in a music lab and it was the first time I'd ever touched a MacBook mm-hmm. and got to, you know, mess around on GarageBand for a couple of hours. And it's that same thing that I still love doing to this day. I just love making noise mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, pressing random buttons and seeing what happens. So I make a lot of random music of all different genres. 95% of it will never see the light yeah. of day. And that little 5% is the, you know, the side that I choose to show people. But yeah, just yesterday I was making kind of slow divey rock tunes and mm-hmm. then, you know, making some rap tunes and then some sort of ambient ones. So it, uh, it, my management, uh, yeah, <laughs> Secret the amount side of times they've had to stop me from, oh, the amount of times they've had to stop me from starting. A <laughs> SoundCloud. <laughs> Oh, there's already, there's already, there's already a few out there. They can't stop me. But so like when it does come to your songwriting and again, like you tapping into those like personal spaces, it made me think a lot, like listening to your music, how men aren't really encouraged to share their emotions like in today's society and that there's a huge stigma around everybody seeking mental health help, but more specifically men. So uh, do you feel like you've had to deal with that stigma personally? I think it's a weird thing for me because, you know, music for me has always been my thought form of therapy. Yeah. So I've, um, I guess I'm just not shy about telling people <laughs> how I feel. I think I noticed, you know, with a lot of my earlier stuff that the stuff that I was honest about um, and a song of mine called She Likes Another Boy was the first song I'd ever released. And it was a really honest song. And a lot of the love songs I wrote after that were very honest. And I realized those connected with people the most because, yeah, they felt so, you know, from the soul. And with this album, every song on this album means something to me. Mm -hmm. And I guess I'm just not kind of conscious of it. You know, I I use the music as therapy and as a byproduct byproduct of my therapy, I have a bunch of songs to listen to. And then I go, well, I might as well show these to everyone, you know. It gets to the point where I kind of want to share them. But at first, that that, you, that period of holding on to those songs is definitely a, a form of therapy. Wow, mm. interesting. Like, it's very cool that you're just like, ah, this is how I feel, so I'm just going to put it out in the world. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why I've never had anything holding me back about that. I love that. I think it's just, it's because I get so antsy holding on to things. And uh, mm. it's the same thing why I want to start a side project all the time. I don't like holding on to things. And a lot of those songs... Uh, feel like they should be out in the world yeah I think it's really interesting that like you brought up music is therapy because I think that's something that a lot of songwriters share that sentiment but I'm curious if you like in thinking of like mental health have you ever like found any other avenues of therapy whether traditional or other methods that work for you or is songwriting like the ultimate kind of cathartic release for you I don't know. I mean, it's probably bad. A lot, a lot of my, you know, people around me have said I should most likely go to therapy. But I saw a meme recently where somebody said therapy costs three hundred quid, and saying it, it is what it is, is free. So <laughs> that's kind of like the mantra I live by. And yeah, th- music is really my one therapy. Uh, I think my big thing is, um, you know, nights where it kind of feels like everything will go on forever, mm. and this night will never end. I'm, I feel so lucky that I have music there as my crutch because I'm. Uh, it's so easy to, 
you know, feel a bit panicky and sit down at piano and play and lose yourself for three hours in making a song. And then, oh, I'm tired and I can go to sleep yeah. finally, you know, rather than sitting there racking your brain. It's 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 really helpful. I mean, that sounds really amazing. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, <laughs> kind of jealous. We're jealous. not all songwriters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and the thing is, I think the thing that's like so therapeutic about it as well is that you have this experience of being able to shut off for three hours and then at the end of it you get to go I've made a song you know (laughs) and then you get to listen back to that song forever and it exists forever which I just find amazing and that's the productivity cycle (laughs) but like that is so incredible because it also like I feel like other artists we've spoken to or even just other interviews I've read like they're seems to be a lot of times that kind of anxiety about releasing those things out into the world and like we spoke to Nell Mezcal like recently and she was saying how she'll kind of sit on feelings for a couple of years with that song in order to put it out later when she can like think about it more and so I just am like really impressed that you are so comfortable just releasing your raw emotions into the world through your music. It took me a while to process the emotions from this album you know I think by the time it came out, I'd been sat on it for almost six or seven months. So mm. I'd fully, you know, I'd kind of come out of the dark year that I was in making the album and kind of come through the other side. So it was, again, a hugely kind of cathartic process being like, oh, I made this when I was feeling super low and now I'm out the other side and I get to just sort of enjoy as other people get to enjoy it. Yeah. Do you feel like there are any songs that you've written that you would rather just keep to yourself? Oh, loads. There's loads of songs that I have kept to myself, uh, either because they're too personal or because they're just not that good. (laughs) (laughs) With that being said, like, have you ever put out a song and then some time goes by and like you're performing it at shows or people are coming up to talk to you about it and you're like, oh, crap, like, I don't know why I let people know about this. Uh, Yeah, all the time. Uh, (laughs) I think literally the song She Likes Another Boy was it was sort of. That song was written out of, you know, I was 17 going to a house party, watching the girl I had a crush on kiss another boy. And it was mm-hmm. just like, I was like such a sad little teenager. <laughs> and this like little, you know, about a crush has sort of gone very viral. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, I'm I'm very appreciative for the kind of weird success that it's had on TikTok and amazed at how relatable it is for so many people there's like all these (laughs) mad comments of like other teenagers crying being like I can't believe he doesn't like me back or you know all of these (laughs) mad things and it's quite it's really cool to see that that song is there to like Mm. I don't know be somebody's therapy for for their time when their crush doesn't like them back yeah it's kind of like the it's like the circle of life of songwriting of like you probably had those songs from another artist and now you're making songs about your experiences and then other people are having that same type of experience with the song that you put out yeah it's weird it just keeps on going yeah forever and ever never ending and i mean you brought up tiktok and tiktok is one of our favorite (laughs) social media topics to discuss because i feel like a lot of artists have a very love-hate relationship with the app because as you said like seeing a song take on another life and going viral even in a way like you didn't plan to is really cool but there's also that intense pressure that seems to be going on recently for artists to be both a musician and a content creator. So my question for you is like, how do you deal with that? I hate it. I hate uh, every aspect of that social media platform. I am not really dealing with it. I I think there definitely is a pressure Mm -hmm. for 
for artists and I feel the pressure to become a content creator but I think as I said I'm very kind of I you know I think it's very important that for me my music is therapy I'm not really I don't really care about you know trying to be the biggest artist in the world yeah. I yeah. make these songs because I love doing it and it gives me you know it's a cathartic release and then as I said I've got a byproduct and people yeah. can listen to these yeah. songs I'm not going to go trying to become a content creator I think <laughs> it's I think it's also just unrealistic I have so many friends that get inspired to do it and you you know you smash two three months of content doing it every day and then what well, I how long can you do that for yeah. there's a, you yeah. know it, it, it you have to keep doing that and I just uh, I can't sign up for that so I've kind of said you know to myself that I I'm doing the thing that I love and I don't want to do the thing that I don't love I mean it is two different jobs right <laughs> like Martin, oh, yeah, you know they're not even the same thing jobs. but I do think it's interesting of like what we we're talking about at the beginning of like ballads or at least songs that are written at piano a lot of times are timeless like span genre span time and connect with people on like a very deep level and so i think you know if that's like the approach you're taking to music it's like you're not trying to make something blow on, on tiktok like you're trying to make something that's going to like stand the test of time yeah exactly i think that's also the you know one thing that i'm very conscious of i don't want to be boxed into some sort of weird tiktok artist group yeah i think obviously really happy that this song is shared with a bunch of people and, mm-hmm. and you know it means I can live my life and continue to do music um the way I want to do it without having to worry too much which you know I'll always be really thankful for yeah yeah I mean it's like the double-edged sword of social media like I feel like most creatives it's like that's not how our brains work in that way and so the pressure of it is hard but then seeing people find your song and like that organic kind of social media guerrilla marketing kind of way that exists is also really cool so yeah it must be really confusing in some ways yeah 100 percent. i think the thing is is that it's just not what i signed up for yeah yeah Um, i I make music i don't make content Yeah, yeah yeah uh circling back on this idea of touring and you were able to tour this record very recently and you kind of mentioned like they're very different like head spaces as far as like songwriting and then like getting back into the groove of touring so for you i guess what was the switch like but also what was it what is it like to perform these songs that are quite emotional and are quite vulnerable well, as I said, I kind of come through the other side of them now in in the way that, you know, you write a record and you sit on it for, a, a, you know, almost a year and, and get it mixed and stri- your strings. And so by the time it comes round to it and you've heard it so many times, I've already gone through and processed all the emotions surrounding these songs. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a song on the record called Cruel that oh, yeah, when I first wrote it, it was like one of the first songs I wrote after the breakup and and it would always make me cry. And, um, you know, I think I've gotten to a point now where it doesn't quite bring that same emotion anymore. I've sort of healed from it. Mm-hmm. So I, now it's just sort of excitement to play these songs that I've worked hard on. And we've now, you know, started playing completely live, which as a somebody that's like a big muso, I, I you know, I'm one of those sort of people going, oh, I should all be live music, you know. <laughs> um, and so... It, you know, being able to do that is really amazing. And I just love having four people in a room playing mm. instruments and the feeling of uh, matching up and playing the same thing as other people at the same time. It just feels incredible. <laughs> Synergy. So it's been really fun. <laughs> yeah. 
in playing those emotional songs, even though you're kind of like on the other side of it now, the fans who are there and watching you are clearly like experiencing it in live time. So is that like a weird emotion to be kind of like to perceive that emotion off of other people? Because I know like when you're in a room like that, even just coming from my, like I do concert photography and like working with an artist and then feeling those fans reacting to them can be so much like, is that something that you go through? I think I'm always just really thankful that people can relate to the music. Yeah. You know, to have someone cry at your song is the biggest compliment. It means yeah. they're really feeling it. It's like better than applause, really. When I see somebody <laughs> bawling their eyes out, I say, you know, <laughs> it's that they actually they feel so much about yeah, this yeah. song that they're bawling their eyes out. So yeah, no, I always feel really honoured when I when I see that. And yeah. It, it, you know, it's still it's a little bit funny for me because I'm here you know, playing these little diddly bops that I wrote when I was 18 and somebody's yeah. bawling their eyes out over it. But yeah, it's it's, it's still amazing. No, I'm, I mean, I'm sure it is. I just like, I can't, I can never imagine like feeling all those emotions in the room and knowing that they're like about something that you did that you're kind of like, I don't feel these emotions anymore. And I just wonder if like, did those emotions like get to you where now you're like feeling it all over again, ever? I think it kind of just gets absorbed into... The audience, I start to think of it as, you know, love songs for people in the crowd. I start to imagine people in relationships, you know, sending the same way I have been, like sending albums back and forth, you know, yeah. going, oh, this reminds me of you. Or, you know, I try yeah. and imagine that my songs are that for some other people. And uh, I think that's amazing. So you mentioned that, like, you've had a song on TikTok that, like, has blown up to <laughs> quite a bit. And seeing people kind of leave comments or, like, use the sounds and kind of, like, share their own stories or whatever it is. Like, I'm sure that's that interaction is kind of, like, a bit of a surreal thing. Because it's, like, this is the internet. And, like, how is this real? And, like, what do you mean this many people have, like, seen heard my song? But, like, obviously in person it makes it much more personal, much more just, I don't know, a feeling of it being, like, real and right in front of you. So I'm curious if you've had any, like, personal, like, fan interactions, like, talking to them after a show or anything that, like, have really kind of impacted you. I've had loads of sweet interactions. You know, there's there was a guy that recently came up re- um, at a show and gave me a letter and I got home and read it. And it was a sort of really long letter about how, I don't know, he just doesn't feel like he fits in or whatever, but somehow he weirdly relates to what I'm saying, um, which is, you know, a really crazy thing for me because for so long at my secondary school and school in general, I felt the same way um, and felt like, you know a lot of people just didn't kind of understand me and so to now have people saying that they understand me from you know people that I don't know is a very surreal thing and still sort of blows my head off I can't really I still can't really believe that it's my job to make music because (laughs) I just do it for fun and and people uh, like that and yeah it's amazing that's really incredible I like I think it's just so moving listening to artists talk about how fans have felt comfortable telling them like how they relate to their music and stuff like that and I mean especially a letter like that that you can kind of hold on to forever uh in that way I've got it right here I've got it right here (laughs) you're you're like it's framed it's on my fridge (laughs) (laughs) wow that's so that's so sweet yeah So I'm curious also, you've said that you find the most creativity in having emotional highs and lows. 
but do you ever have creative block where you're like you feel like maybe no all the time it's uh i think it's something that i'm kind of uh figuring out how to deal with and maybe i need to you, you know maybe this is the time to sort sort some sort of therapy to figure out what it is but uh, you know, I, I write songs at these emotional highs and lows, but, you know, not all of life is highs right. and lows. Yeah. And a lot of it's mids. Yeah. Um, and those mids can be those uh, long periods of non-creation. I think the biggest thing I have to pull me out of it is making music that doesn't sound like the other music mm. I'm making. Mm. That's yeah. why I make a lot of different weird music, um, because, you know, maybe one day I can't write a piano ballad, but I can write a punk song um mm. and yeah. you know so it just sort of gives me a little burst of doing something else and and there's been loads of times where I've taken techniques that I've used in those songs and actually applied them to stuff that I'm doing so I I just try not to make myself feel too guilty about the natural ebb and flows of creativity and yeah. I know that hopefully it will come back around yeah yeah I feel like Sarah and I have both experienced that we've been creatives as photographers like I've done some writing myself and it is like it's always that kind of feeling of like do I really have nothing to say like <laughs> where what should what should I be doing and I feel like there's a bit sometimes of like a self anxiety or just kind of like being hard on yourself of like like where like what am I doing right now yeah 100% and and being a, a full-time musician also means that you know if I'm not do if I don't write the music for a, a few days I, I feel weirdly guilty or mm. or feel like I should be doing something which is really hard when it's creative you know then it just fulfills the cycle yeah. of, you know oh and then, then I can't actually do it um, so I just try and break those cycles by making weird stuff <laughs> I mean, it's good that you have another outlet that can then kind of like open the floodgates, so to speak, for the creativity you might need for your main project of music. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't exactly open the floodgates <laughs> for the other music. I just spend like two months making weird music and then eventually I'll go back to doing something normal. <laughs> so the ethos of Name Three Songs is to empower fangirls. And we think it's important to be critical consumers, but also celebrate the things that we love unapologetically. So what are you personally a fangirl about? Oh, this is really bad. Uh, but... At the minute, I sort of go through weird obsessive phases of things. I get really obsessed uh, uh, over things for a few weeks at a time. And at the minute, that that current obsession is Minecraft. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so at the minute, I've been spending too much time. And this is what I mean in terms of creativity and not doing things for a few days and making yourself feel guilty. I may or may not have built... Uh, a Minecraft palace. So wow. I'd say I mean, that's my fangirl moment <laughs> at the minute. It's it's a, it's, a it's another creative. Dude, sometimes that's you need to I'm put your brain say. on easy mode. You know, exactly, exactly, and literally on easy mode on Minecraft as well. Um, <laughs> it's okay. Yeah, at the minute I say I'm fangirling over Minecraft. Um, I love that. Yeah. Incredible. Okay, well, this has been a lovely chat. Thanks for hanging out with us, Oscar. Thank you so much for having me. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. 
Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.